Welcome to Glitch Cube, we're a gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. I'm Christian. And I am Chris. And welcome back, y'all. And uh, as we continue on our adventure through the dark ages of gaming, and it's actually kind of funny, when we first started this little mini-series, we wanted to really focus on the failures of gaming, and the more info and more research that I feel like we're doing on it, I would, like, it's hard to call these things actual straight failures. Like, sure, they flopped in the market, they didn't make the money that was originally intended, but they have such interesting, innovative ideas that they just expand what we currently have. And you can tell that they really laid the groundwork for what games are now. And today we have two very interesting consoles for you. We're going to be tackling the handheld market. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Atari Lynx and the Nokia Engage. And if you haven't heard of either one of those, there's a good reason. <laughs> they didn't do so hot. And yeah, so let's just jump right into it. We're going to be get engaged. Let's get engaged. But yeah, let's get engaged by first talking about the links. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so one real big thing, like I, I mentioned on it, I touched on the issue that like these games, yeah, sure, they were like, quote unquote, failures, but they did address issues in the market that were coming up at the time in very innovative, interesting ways. They just didn't happen to deliver on the results that were expected of them. And just a little uh, plug before we hop in here. We do have a second show for you guys. And if you haven't heard it yet, it's called Murder of Grey um, or Mogpod, as we like to, you know, cheekily call it. But uh, on our next episode, we're going to be talking about AI. And they have very similar issues to these kind of quote unquote failed consoles in which AI doesn't do exactly what we want it to and that's kind of like the big issue or big scare behind it so if you guys are interested in that you want to hear some more uh we go into different moral and ethical dilemmas each week and we just have fun doing it uh you know be sure to check it out you can find it on any one of the podcatchers uh that you listen to and most likely you can find it on the one you're currently listening to right now so like i said murder gray podcast uh check it out give it a listen and let us know what you think so now we're going to be going into the Atari Lynx, or which was originally known as the Handy. Hey! <laughs> so, you know, which is perfect for the Christmas season. What would you like more? Uh, you know, an Atari Lynx or a Handy for Christmas? <laughs> a Handy from Santa. Ooh. Oh, God. It just puts the whole image of sitting in his lap and asking. Oh, <laughs> no. He's sitting in Santa's lap, and he's like, what do you want for Christmas, little boy? A handy. (laughs) I want a handy. (laughs) It's just horrible. But, all right. So, this system was originally developed in 1989, which is, I mean, it's old. And I know it's old, because that's what Euro is born. (laughs) I'm an old person. But the... What's astonishing with this is, given the time frame of when this system came out, what it was able to accomplish is kind of amazing. It, and a lot of people do say that the Lynx was definitely before its time. It was able to give us some stuff that was almost thought as impossible on a handheld system, but just didn't kind of hit the mark, unfortunately. And at the 
at the same or during the same year, the Game Boy actually came out, which of course was his main competition and did insanely or was insanely successful and still is to this day, which blew up their, you know, Nintendo's handheld markets uh, area. Right. So mm -hmm. the Lynx had some stiff competition um, and one like I do want to go over the design of this and some of the features that were involved with the links because they are kind of amazing when you think about the time frame that they came out. So the Game Boy was insanely successful, but it was just a black and white screen, right? Very simple, uh, one orientation, uh, four potential for four player multiplayer, but you had to link up a bunch of cables and all that. So it it worked. It, and it did well, just was didn't have as many features as the Lynx did, which makes it interesting that the Lynx is the one that actually ultimately failed. So uh, one of the cool things that you can definitely see, um, I guess, paved the way for mobile gaming nowadays is the fact that the Lynx had different screen orientations that you can accomplish by just pressing a single button. So you can have a right-handed or left-handed feature just by flipping the screen and pressing the button to switch to flip it. Um, and then some of the games also were played in portrait mode, which is very strange to think about with a handheld system, right? Like, especially during this time, you just don't really see that many different, like, orientations that you can potentially play a game. It's you pick the console up and then you're done, right? Which mm -hmm. I guess at the same time, could lead to like overcomplication during that time right it's a it's a lot of information overload it's like oh well you could do this this and this whereas instead like with the nintendo they you know the whole kiss rule keep it simple stupid it's just they pick up the system they know how to play it and there you go you don't have to think about it it's just done right which is kind of a nice feature if you really think about it uh but another thing that the links featured as well was the fact that it had a full color screen which was actually backlit, huh. which, which is insane to think about, right? Like, mm -hmm. do you remember that little dongle that you had to attach to the Game Boy? That little, the like, little worm light? Yeah, the little worm light that just is so awkward and just kind of silly. didn't really work either. No, no. And it was just a front light, right? And mm -hmm. trying to play the, the Game Boy during the day is just like a nightmare, right? Playing it in sunlight, yep. you can't see shit. So it's just it's really crazy to think that during the same year they already had there was already a handheld console out there that addressed those issues and it had a full color screen, which is just mind blowing for that time. I mean, think about you didn't really see a backlit screen until. Probably at least from GBA, Nintendo. Right? Uh, the Game Boy SP. Oh, that. Oh, that's because right. the original that's Game Boy Advance didn't have it. That's true. The SP did, and then the, the there's a new version of the Advance that had it. Right? There's. Yeah, and I don't think the Game Gear was backlit. I know that Turbo Graphics like handheld was, but that wasn't really a thing here. No, so I, th I remember the Game Gear having a case. It was like a light case that You're went right. over to the top of it. That just had like a light bar in it. And it made the Game Gear even bigger, <laughs> if you can accomplish that, <laughs> which is just God. crazy. So, like, really think about it. And the Game Gear didn't come out for another two years after this. Mm -hmm. So this is two years before the Game Gear, which still didn't have a backlight. They created a whole, like, clip-on case system that had a light installed in it. So it was just, it's crazy to see a handheld during this time frame that had these accomplishments. Now, one other amazing amazing thing that was uh, established in this 
is the fact that so I mentioned that the Nintendo had uh, four player multiplayer potential. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lynx actually had potential for 18 players Jesus. playing a game like that's crazy, especially for a handheld. So all these things stacking up, it's like, hey, this is a really great system. Right. There's a lot to this. What game needs 18 players? That's crazy. I don't know. Right. But like, especially during that time, I can't even think of one that can, you know, accomplish that. But it it's almost like establishing like Battle Royale style gaming in 1989. That's over 30 years ago. So that's that's pretty crazy. Like you think about nowadays, you get people in a server and it takes forever to load up anything. And it's just like so many issues that arise back then. They were actually able to accomplish this through handhelds quite simply. Yeah, I, I feel like the only time I've ever heard of like the the Bomberman on the Saturn had it where you can have, I think, up to like 15 people playing simultaneously. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Other than that, like we didn't really see this high of a number until I mean, where you link things up. I don't think we've really ever seen that now. It's just all through servers. Yeah, no, the the whole link system kind of died out after a while, but it's it's kind of astonishing. And then also, I think one of the big issues with it, too, is the fact that, like, how are you going to, like, do you really have 18 friends that own a links that are going to be sitting down next to each other and linking up with one another? Probably not. That seems like a lot of extra yeah. hardware that's going to be happening. So there's that, you know, general issue behind it as well. Um, another big component of it that kind of like blew it out of the water was the fact that this had a pretty decent jump in graphics as well. So it, you know, like like we mentioned, it was a mix of what eighteen and sixteen bit graphics, right? Yeah, it was mostly sixteen bit. Which honestly, at the time, it, there wasn't really sixteen bit around. You have to think this came out like towards the end of the Master System, the NES, and then the Game Boy. I mean, those are all eight bit consoles. We didn't see sixteen bit until uh 1990 mm-hmm. with the super nintendo and the genesis you know and for handhelds we didn't see a 16-bit until game boy advance i think if i remember right yeah I believe or maybe the game gear too but i think the game we didn't... gear jumped to 16 but that was two years later and yeah. the systems that came out a year after this links were consoles they weren't handhelds so yeah it, like once again that's just astonishing to think about the the jumps in in technology for this handheld everything seems to be going in the direction of this being just a pure juggernaut of a handheld that mm-hmm. no one can surpass but unfortunately there were some issues <laughs> with these new innovations that definitely did lead to the ultimate downfall of it do you want to start us off with some of these issues well i mean the cost was just astronomical for a handheld oh my god yeah it so the at the time remember the game boy is its ultimate competition right and the game boy actually like starting it started out at 89.95 which during that time was kind of a big jump you know for kids games weren't as Mm -hmm. huge and it's hard to convince your parents to buy you a system right and i did end up getting a game boy one as a kid but i can't imagine asking my mom to purchase something at the cost of the links which during time of release was $189.95 so it was straight up $100 more than 
the Game Boy was. It's like the price of a console back then. Yeah. So basically, but at the same time, you got to think this did have more power than the consoles that were currently available to people. So yeah. you can kind of justify the cost a little bit there. Now, when you take into the idea of how many batteries you're going to be buying for this thing, then the price just is exponential from there, right? So oh, the, that too. the battery life on this system was horrible, horrible. So for comparison, the Game Boy, it used four batteries, and it lasted typically between 10 and 30 hours. And that's a pretty big jump between, you know, the variance of hours. But it kind of just depended on the game that you were happened to be playing, if, whether it was more graphically uh, taxing or not, right? And the quality of battery, too, you know? Yeah, exactly. So if you got some shitty batteries, then, of course, they're going to be closer to the 10-hour mark. You throw some, you know, Duracells in there, then yeah. you might be lasting around the 30 hours. Do you remember those? I love those. The button uh, ones? Do you remember? Yes, yeah. I was just going to yeah. say that. Like, remember that you see the little <laughs> color change? You're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, it was so cool. I would always check those before road trips. You know, you're pressing the buttons. You're like, cool. This one's got half charge. I had a little baggie of like my half batteries. Like it was, it was silly. It was stupid. <laughs> but, I like wonder like, how did they actually like know the charge in those things just from pressing that button? You know, I don't know. I've always wanted to look at that. But for, for those of you who weren't born during this time or no idea what we're talking about, so batteries are this thing that you put inside of something to make them work. They're not oh. rechargeable. No, I'm just kidding. That's too far back. Uh, <laughs> but on uh, batteries back then, they had a cool little feature on some of them, mainly Duracell, where if you press these two little tiny buttons, so basically you're creating uh, a circuit between your fingers, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a little like loading bar looking thing on the side of it. And it would actually like change the color of the bar to show what level of battery it was at. So it's like, you know, if it was a half bar, you're at 50% battery around approximately. So you knew that you had some charge left, but it was cool to be able to actually look at your batteries and see where you're at. Whereas now it's basically they just die and you're like, well, like it's done, right? But maybe only one of them is not charged fully or what, whatever. But the, <laughs> so the Lynx actually used six batteries in total and it lasted for <laughs> an astonishing four to five hours. Oh, boy. It's definitely the backlight, you it, know, and that's yeah. definitely what killed it. Well, the backlight, the full color screen, everything like there's a lot to it that it it used a lot of power. And I felt I feel like it also has the fact to do with the uh, the jumping graphics as well. So everything mm -hmm. about it is more taxing on the overall system, which does ultimately lead to more of a power hungry system. So this like think about like just grabbing your console and basically just turning it into a handheld right now and trying running on batteries. It's going to drain through them pretty quickly. So this thing was not optimized for handheld. It almost felt like they were trying to develop a console. And then we're like, well, let's make this thing handheld. Let's make it portable. Right. So it just there's a lot of little issues with that one. Yeah. It's like you look back and I mean, the game gear needed six batteries, too. And then actually, I just remembered the first really big name handheld that actually looked good was the Sega Nomad, which was kind of a version of the Genesis, but it was portable Man, and cool it needed name. six batteries. Yeah. And I think it lasted about the same, like 
four to eight hours. But I mean, you were able to play your Genesis games on the go. Like it was really cool. Right. But those were power hungry games. So yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Now, another pretty big issue with this is that this overall over the whole lifetime of the game system itself, it really didn't have that many games to its name. Um, it actually, during the whole lifespan, I, which I believe was only, what was it, three, four years? Yeah, it was around four years. Around I think. four years, there was only 75 titles across the whole thing, which is, across four years, only 75 games. That's not a lot of variety mm-hmm. for people to choose from. And it didn't sell very well in its first month. It but it sold decently, right? And I think it was the initial idea that, like, of how many different features it had. It sold fifty thousand units in its first month. Um, but yeah. when you, it's, which isn't bad, but it's not great, right? When yeah. it comes down to these things, when you look at the the Game Boy, which has sold over millions of units over the course of its lifetime, it it's just it's hard to really compete with that. But the Game Boy did have a nice little caveat where it actually shipped with Tetris. So that definitely did help with the overall uh, sales of the game system. So if you think about it, for $89.95, you're getting game, the Game Boy and Tetris, which is the number one selling game of all time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a no-brainer, right? Nintendo did uh, a really smart idea whenever it came out with that one. So these these things just really don't bode well for... The links, it just wasn't. There's so many things like going against everything that they're that they're trying to put forth. They like they have a very innovative product that should have done very very well, but unfortunately just didn't hit the mark. It wasn't what people were expecting, and I feel like that seems to be the running trend for a lot of these games or systems that we're running into with these quote unquote failures is that the marketing is playing up this amazing idea and it does hit those ideas on certain marks, but it just doesn't go all the way. It doesn't do exactly what the critics or the consumers were originally thinking that it would actually accomplish. So it's it's kind of sad. Definitely another thing with the games too is that a good majority of them were created by epics, which... To make this kind of a not a long story, Epics were actually the the company, from what I remember, that created the links. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, they needed money to be able to fund this. So they first went to Nintendo and Nintendo said, no, we're not doing that. We already have something in the works, which was the Game Boy. So they brought it to Atari and Atari was like, yeah, we'll 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 do it for you. You just got to make the quota. So while they were doing that, they published and made a lot of games for the Lynx. Mm -hmm. So you weren't getting some of these big hits from other consoles, right? Like, you know, obviously you're not getting your Nintendo franchises, but you're not really getting any like big developers from Japan helping you. So it's like a bunch of like random games that are starting their life on this handheld Mm -hmm. that no one knows about. And another thing too is that once Atari started noticing the Lynx wasn't selling well, they kind of bullied Epics mm-hmm. into handing the uh, Lynx over to them. 
and they kind of bought it, right? Right. Because they, they weren't able to pay for it. They had to file bankruptcy. So, I mean, there was that sour taste that, you know, it kind of stole their their idea and now they have to make games for it. Like it just it doesn't bode well. Yeah. You know? They're burning think, bridges. Yeah. And which Atari I feel like I don't know, Atari, if you really look at their history, like they had really strong beginning. But after that, every time they've done something, it's just like almost feels unnecessary. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's a bummer what they did. You know, I don't think they did the same thing with the Jaguar, but I mean, that's that's a whole different episode. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously a lot of the consumers were pretty jaded and just they felt like they got and I got gypped out on what was promised of them. Right. So two years later in 1991, Atari actually came out with the Lynx 2. Um, and this actually addressed a lot of the original issues with the original Lynx. It did have a better battery life. The design was much smaller, um, which actually there was an interesting quote by some of the uh, the game testers for the original Lynx, where apparently the testers themselves were saying, make it bigger, bigger is better. But then whenever it actually hit the main market, everyone's like, what is this giant brick of a thing? <laughs> so it's kind of funny that I guess you can't really get a full. I'm curious at like how big the sample size was for the game testers. And who they actually got. Like, was it actually people within the company who were working on it <laughs> that just happened to, you know, like they're they're payrolled by Atari themselves. So, of course, mm-hmm. they're going to say what Atari wants to hear. They're not going to bash the design of something whenever it's already in production and available for people to, you know, purchase and test. So how are they going to, you know, tweak that? So, of course, they're going to, you know, say, like, it's fine. It's bigger. It's cool. Right. It it makes it feel more powerful because it's bigger. But no, a lot of people just did not enjoy that. And another addition that they put into the links too, which was pretty helpful, was the headphone jack. So then you can, you know, listen to your games instead of having it blast out for everyone else to hear around you, which was a really weird thing back in the day. And I feel like we're not seeing this now because of the, the whole resurgence of like, quote unquote, nerd culture is cool, right? Like, Everyone is like a Marvel geek now. Games mm-hmm. are being coming, becoming more acceptable. But back in the day, if you were a gamer, you were kind of like looked at as a loser, right? And a lot of these systems try to make you look cool while gaming or like kind of like hide the fact that you were game, right? It, the, the designs and everything like that were kind of showcased in that. And that's something that we're going to go into later on with the next console that we'll be talking about, which is the Engage. But before we get into that, there's a little bit more for this guy, the Lynx. Um, but, of course, this game system just didn't really do well. People already kind of, like I mentioned, they were angry with the first one. So, of course, why how, why are they going to invest more money in a part two of something that they've already uh, grew to kind of like hate, right? So, ultimately, the Lynx does get discontinued. But what's interesting is they're still kind of making games for the Lynx. Yeah. Which is weird. Do you want to go into that? Because that's crazy. Like this thing is how old and people are still developing. So it surprisingly has a pretty big like homebrew uh, community. And there's mods for it too. I was just looking up the mods and there's, 
you know, installable battery packs that are rechargeable through USB. Uh, <clears throat> something that makes the, uh, the screen brighter. Uh, there's other mods too. Like people have basically put a lot of work into it. But what I found interesting was I was looking at the unlicensed games that have come out since its discontinuation, and there's actually quite a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year alone, even I think it was just maybe a month or two ago, four titles just got released on it. That's crazy. And they look pretty cool. You know, they're kind of your your typical for what you would find around the time, like puzzle and shooter and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's cool. And I mean, they look great. and I know that a lot of uh, developers that are into this homebrew, I mean, they'll make those games available on other platforms too. Like mm-hmm. uh, an example, you look at like Pure Solar, Pure Solar, they, and I think Xenocrisis, they originally was on PC and then they, well, I think Pure was uh, slowly for the Genesis and then they moved it to other platforms, but you see these people releasing these new games on multiple older consoles. And the thing with these games created for the Lynx, I don't think you can even play them on the PC. So you would need a Lynx to play them. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, before that, it looked like there was like three or four games released in 2018. And I mean, it, it has a little community there. People are definitely still interested in trying to make it work because it's kind of a cool looking handheld. I mean, would I personally ever buy one? No. But, I mean, it, it's cool. Right. You know, I love handhelds. I'm a sucker for them. If I could afford all of them, I'd buy them all just for the hell of it. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a tough one to really like sell. And especially now, like, I love the fact that people are modding it still and, you know, developing games for it, but it just, it it's like a niche like kind of like nostalgia market at that point yeah yeah so like i mentioned the the links did something interesting and a lot of these systems do this too where they they try and come back and say like okay the first one didn't do so great but check this out right <laughs> like we made it again but we made it better this time we swear right and it just it's hard to really gain back the trust of the the audience um after they've been kind of duped or they feel like they were duped from the original version um one example to kind of bring it into modern day would be like no man's sky right this game promised Mm -hmm. so much and i remember seeing first footages of it and just being blown away by how it looked from all the press conferences and everything and i was following this game pretty heavily uh because it was being announced when i was first starting getting into you know going to school for game design and the whole idea of like creating procedural generated worlds that on, on that level were really amazing to me where I wanted to learn how to do that more so I was I was really like invested in this and then when the game came out it just was not what they had said none of the footage was actually like real it was all you know CGI footage and they didn't tell us that so there's a lot of things that kind of like burned us as a consumer and now they've addressed a lot of the issues and yes the game is more what they had originally intended it to be but it almost feels like it's a little too little too late right um so i wanted to ask you are there any other games or systems that you can think of off the top of your head that kind of fall into the same trope 
where the first or like one rendition was just like, mm, that didn't really do what we wanted. And a lot of people ended up resenting it. And then the, the developer developers were like, hey, wait, 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 come back. It's okay. We, d- we did it this time. Trust us. Give us your money, please. All right. I feel really sad because I remember when No Man's Sky came out and I walked all the way to the game store to get it and then I played it for a night and then I was like, this is it. Uh, it yeah. reminded me of that. Yeah. But I don't know if you saw their latest expansions. Freaking cool. But um Yeah, I like I said it it looks awesome now, but I feel like they're gonna they're never gonna have the audience that they could have had. Yeah. Um, for me, I mean I think about Final Fantasy fourteen mm. when it first released, it was awful. Yeah. And it you know, but they were able to turn it around. They were able to make a game event making fun of, you know, the dis- like destroying the old and bringing in the new. And I mean, look at it now. It's super successful. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's the first one that comes to mind when I think about a story like No Man's Sky. But for like other ones, I know there was another one recently that had that where it just didn't live up to. Oh, I mean, Anthem was one. Oh, yeah. And there's so I mean, much hype behind Anthem and it looked so cool. It did. And I mean, there's cyberpunk. I mean, I beat cyberpunk and I mean, I feel like it's not as bad as people say, but I mean, compared to the expectations and what we were told will be in it. Yeah. It's a letdown, but I feel like it just didn't run well on the systems either. Right. So it wasn't optimized. That too. It definitely does hurt it a lot. Yeah. And I mean, that's mostly the ones I can think of right off my head. I mean, of course, there's Marvel Avengers, which I I didn't think it was going to be that great because I'm not into that. But when I played it compared to what I thought it would be, I was like, oh, now I see why everyone that was hyped about it just dropped it instantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I have I have an interesting one for you. I want to talk about Devil May Cry. Real quick. Hmm. And like, I know that game has multiple different, you know, versions. It has like, what, six or seven parts, right, at this point. And it's a good game. It, it is a good game. But the when the original game came out, Devil May Cry 1, uh, one of the big things that people were talking about in the reviews was that this game was way too hard. So the developers listened to that and they came out with part two. And then part two yeah. was just exactly that's the reaction. Part two was garbage. It was way too easy. There was nothing really to it. They changed up the overall formula of Devil May Cry, and it just wasn't the same thing anymore. And then the developers came out with Devil May Cry three, which pay- went back to the more difficult roots of it and paid more homage to the first one and actually was able to save the franchise overall. So I think that's an interesting one where it did work out for the company, but it did have a, a, like a real failure on its hands. Like it could have died with two if people just didn't give it the, that second chance or if it just didn't, if three didn't deliver the way it did, then we would have lost Devil May Cry right then and there. It just would have been done. <clears throat> or if Capcom decided that two was such a failure that we're just done with this, right? Like it, and what's interesting is that they they listened to the audience 
on such a high level that they changed the formula for their overall game completely, which is, it's good and bad, right? It showed that they yeah. are listening and they are paying attention, which I guess you could say did keep like the, um, the, the, the faith of the audience, right? Mm-hmm. It kept people interested because they can tell that they were paying attention, they were listening to them. But at the same time, you run the risk of ruining your own franchise because a lot of times people don't really know what they want until you give it to them. And I feel like that was a good example of it, where it's like, okay, one was too hard, we hate this. And then two comes out, it's like, okay, this is just dog shit. (laughs) This is just garbage. (laughs) It's a walk through the park. What is this? And then three comes around, they're like, okay, like we we do like difficult games. It makes sense, right? And it just kind of fit that trope. And they were able to find a really good balance between it. And those games are amazing now. So I, I feel like that's a really interesting uh, look at the history of a franchise that was able to successfully turn it around. So it's a fun one. I didn't even think about that one. I remember hating too. I returned I it the just... same day I bought it. Damn. Yeah. I played it for like three hours. I got it real early in the morning, <clears throat> went home, started playing it. And then about like three hours later, like, the same employee was still working there. <laughs> he's, he's like, you're back already? I'm like, I want to return this. <laughs> oh, God. And he was like, yeah, that makes sense. I've had a lot of returns lately. I was like, hey, you could have told me that. <laughs> right. But, uh, so it is it is nice to see that they were able to bring the back. Because Devil May Cry is one of my favorite franchises. I love those games. They're so much fun. So it, Have you played number five? Uh, yeah, I have. I have. Okay. Yeah, I like it a lot. They're fun. Like, they're really enjoyable. They're just a good time. And I like that they kind of almost don't take themselves too seriously at this point, which is nice. Yeah. So, actually works for them much better. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You find yourself staring down the mouth of a dark cave, hearing the low rumble of something large inside. This is it. Everything you have been fighting for lies just within this cave. (laughs) Hey man, what's the matter? This is your big ending fight scene. Yeah, sorry about that. I've just been so tired today. Feels like I've been hit with like two points of exhaustion. You know what? I have just this thing to get you back into the adventuring spirit. Really? Of course. I have a delicious roast from Geek Grind Coffee. Huh, that sounds pretty cool. What kind of brews do they have? They have blends like Dragon's Roast, Dwarven Dawn, Wizard's Mist, and so much more. They have even one celebrating Jim Hansen's The Labyrinth, The Goblin King's Elixir. Whoa, those sound awesome. I'm waking up just hearing about them. Is there an easy way for me to pick up some? I got you. For the fans of our show, if you visit geekgrindcoffee.com right now and enter the promo code GLITCH at the checkout, you will get 20% off your order. Whoa, that's great. So you're saying if I go to geekgrindcoffee.com right now and enter the promo code GLITCH at checkout, I'll get 20% off my order? That's amazing. That's right, yo. (laughs) All right, I'm ready for this adventure. Bring it on. Hey, that's a natural 20. Just like the discount you can get when entering the promo code GLITCH at geekgrindcoffee.com. Level up your morning with Geek Grind Coffee.
All right, so we're going to be shifting over to the next quote-unquote failed console. It's another handheld for you guys, and we mentioned it earlier. We're going to be talking about the Nokia N-Gage, otherwise known as the Taco Phone, because it looks like a fucking taco. <laughs> the design of this, this system is just all kinds of wrong. But their heart was in the right place when they wanted to design this. Uh, the original idea for the N-Gage was the fact that uh, well, this came out in 2003, right? So quite a quite a while since the link. So we're jumping forward in time a little bit. But during this time, handhelds were a really big deal. Cell phones were huge. Nokia was killing it. They were one of the top, you know, cell phone providers during that time. And actually, um, do you remember the penny phone for Nokia? I don't think so. They they had a phone that literally you can go in and just pay a penny and they hand you a cell phone. And at that time, I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. And I remember that phone just being an absolute like brick of a phone. Like oh, they yeah, made they made their phones like indestructible. And it, to the point where I had a buddy in high school, um, you know, I was on the wrestling team. So, of course, everybody gets rowdy and whatnot. But he would actually throw his phone at people from like across the room and nothing ever happened to this thing. It never broke. It was just like whatever. Right. And it just became kind of like a weird little like funny thing that we do. And of course, you know, like boys being boys, we anything to do to hurt each other. That was funny for us. It's just stupid. But, you know, that's how we were. Um, but I remember uh, one year, I think it was my junior year. We were at uh, States for wrestling at the time. We were all staying at a motel. We were all being like little shitheads and running around. And he goes and throws his phone at somebody. And we were on the second story. And it ends up going over the balcony and landing on someone's windshield. It cracked their windshield, but his phone was fine. Like, it was just there sitting on their car. <laughs> so, like, it, it just shows, like, the... Like, Nokia was good at designing things, and they obviously were really successful. I mean, in the Spider-Man 2 game, they actually had, like, a huge billboard in it. So when you're swinging across the city, you can see the new Nokia flip phone, like, available for purchase at that time. So Nokia was huge, and they were God, already... their phones were always so ugly, though. Oh, they were hideous. But during that time, they, were... they weren't that bad. I mean, look at what we had, though, right? Like, they... there wasn't a lot of great things out at that time there wasn't a lot of options this is yeah. before the iphone became a big thing and all that so <clears throat> nokia noticed that there was a little bit of a problem uh people had too much stuff in their pockets or on them they noticed that people were starting to carry around their cell phone and they also had a handheld console at the same time so they figured why not merge the two which makes sense and iphone ended up doing this and actually doing it successfully <laughs> whenever they were able to combine the ideas of a phone and a game together. Nokia, unfortunately, did not have that success. So they did come out with the Engage, and the design ugh, was not very great. Um, yeah. It just looks silly. It's kind of bulky. It's a little weird. Um, it was a gaming system and a cell phone at the same time, but it didn't do either one of those things very well. The phone aspect on it was pretty poor. Um, it dropped calls constantly. And one of the big caveats and one of the big like jokes or memes from it <clears throat> is kind of where it got its its nickname, the Taco Phone, was 
where they actually put the receiver and the speaker for when you're talking on the phone. They put it on like the small edge of it. So you had to hold the phone sideways uh, up to your face. So it looked like you were holding a taco <laughs> on the side of your head. <laughs> like it just doesn't make any sense, the design. I don't know why they didn't put that stuff on the front. Like, I guess maybe they didn't want to smudge the screen. I, I don't know. None of it really made any sense. And another thing, too, that was kind of weird at the time, especially when you were looking at phones and what they will look like, uh, you had to hold it in uh, landscape, right? That was the only way to use this phone. Wasn't oh So there was no, like, portrait. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a one-hand device. There wasn't that ease of access. So you had to use it with two hands. Um, all the number pad buttons were off to the right, and then you had your joystick and stuff like that off to the left. And it even so far as had like the call accept button on the left side of the screen and the call deny button on the right side. So you really just couldn't use this phone with one hand. It was incredibly complicated in that aspect. Um, but you were able to search the internet, which is cool, I guess, for that time, but it just wasn't very good it was a downgraded style of internet and it just didn't run the way that people expected it to so there's a lot of a lot of obvious failures and one thing too that uh some there was one review that i read that was very confused by this system because it had 21 buttons on this little tiny device now of course you need at least 12 buttons for the numbers because at the time touchscreen wasn't really a thing. So they had all the number pad buttons, but then that's just 12. So there was nine other buttons put on there just kind of throughout the whole device that were put in place for to allow the gaming to be possible. So it just kind of was like a convoluted thing where it's just like too many things to look at, right? So information overload. Now let's get into these games. <laughs> these <laughs> games oh boy so during the time uh once again nintendo is the destroyer of all other handhelds right so right then or during this time frame in which it came out the game boy advance was king so you can tell they were kind of trying to mimic that design that that, that look but mm -hmm. what they did is they ended up taking the game boy advance screen and squishing it to a really strange aspect ratio that was taller than it was wider so it was more portrait but it wasn't like full portrait it was like a kind of like a slightly like it was like a really squat rectangle so the aspect ratio on it was very strange <clears throat> so this created a lot of issues whenever they were trying to port over games because they had to be developed for this aspect ratio it just you couldn't just take a game and put it in there because there would just be too much information that would be cut off so they actually had to design games specifically for the Engage, which created kind of an issue because why are people going to develop something for a very small audience, right? It just didn't really make sense for the developers to do that. Another big issue with the Engage is the way in which you changed your games. Now, this is something that we solved a long time ago, and it did use cartridge games, which were in use, so people were familiar with it. But the way that it used the cartridge game systems were completely broken. Like, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And in one of the reviews that I from that time, uh, someone actually did a step-by-step -step guide on how to change out your games for the Engage, And it was actually an eight-step process. <laughs> Jesus. So what you have to do is you have to first turn off the Engage, Then you take off the back cover. 
you remove the battery, and then you remove the cartridge. And then you place the new cartridge back in, install your battery, install the back plate, then you turn your system on and wait for it all to load up. Now that's ridiculous to have to do that. But I guess one good thing about it was that there really weren't that many games, so you're not going to be changing it out very often. So, <laughs> but the fact that you actually had to do that, it just, it made no sense, right? Like that's, why do you have to turn off your system completely? And, or, well, I mean, you turn off your system when you change out the cartridge, so that's fine, I guess. But taking out the battery and the backplate and everything like that just to get to the cartridge would... It's too much. It's too much. Like, nobody wants to do that. And so they did have a couple decent games or a couple decent titles on the Engage. They surprisingly were able to rope in some pretty big names. Uh, one of those was actually Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And apparently, this game, I believe on Polygon, they did a review for it, and it got like an 8.5 out of 10. Really? There's no sound to it. Uh, but apparently, like, the graphics were actually pretty decent. It had, like, 3D graphics on there. The mm. gameplay worked really well, um, and people enjoyed it. They had fun with this system, which, to me, I was like, what the hell, really? Like, <laughs> that's so weird. <laughs> but it... I mean, it, yeah. think about the 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 Game Boy Advance version of Tony Hawk and how kind of terrible those were. So, I mean, this actually looks kind of like the the one you would expect on a console. So, I mean, I can kind of see now what they're saying. Yeah, it, it was more reminiscent of like the PlayStation 1 Tony Hawk, mm -hmm. which at that time, being able to have something on that level as your phone and in your pocket, that's pretty amazing. So, kudos to that. Then there was Tomb Raider as well, but that game was horrible <laughs> so everything just apparently felt really zoomed in uh you couldn't really see the environment around you and for those of you who know 3d platforming if you're not able to see the environment around you that is the most frustrating thing in the world so not being able to get all that information and actually properly gauge where you need to go or where you're going just a horrible horrible thing so <clears throat> The main failure of this system was the overall design of it. It just didn't really make sense. It was just, it wasn't a phone. It wasn't a game system. People were really confused by it. And they they wanted, they were projecting to sell 9 million units by the end of the first year. That was their ultimate goal. Um, but <laughs> so over the course of the whole <laughs> life, <laughs> I have to laugh at this because it's such an insane thing. They were able to ship, not sell, they were able to ship 3 million units over the course of the entire course of the life of the Engage. So that definitely did not hit the mark that they originally were anticipating. Um, it, it got to the point where they were even just giving it away with new plans. Like it was just a free thing that people can have. And it just, it just failed horribly. Um, but some of the interesting things for it, they did give it a lot of chances to succeed overall. Um, this this phone game thing, the Engage, was sold in multiple different areas. You can actually pick it up at like EB Games, you know, or like GameStop and things like that. And you can also pick it up at a cell phone provider. So it had two different areas. Like it was really trying to branch out. Um, but one thing I found really interesting, be it wasn't sold in Japan. They never sent it there, and they never had plans to sell it in Japan, 
which to me didn't really make any sense because the Japanese market, like they are mobile, right? Like that's like well, that's where Nokia's from, isn't it? Uh, Nokia, I believe, is a Swedish company, oh. Netherlands. It's something like that. The original Nokia. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, so but they they did not have this game available in Japan, but the Engage apparently did pretty well in India. So it's kind of weird that they didn't branch out, and I think they would have been able to hit their 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 sales goal a little bit better if they had done that because Japan is so big in mobile gaming. So it's a little strange that they didn't branch out and, you know, reach out to that market. So I, I don't really know what the thought process was there, but they really did miss the mark. So like I said, the original goal was to send sell, sell, right? Get hands into the consumer of 9 million copies by the end of the first year. And over the course of the entire lifespan of the Engage, they were able to ship three million. <laughs> so definitely did hit miss the mark completely. And uh, they did do the same exact thing as the Lynx. They they tried to address these issues and come out with an Engage two, which did also fail horribly because people just weren't into it. They didn't want to give the Engage a chance anymore because of how much they got burned from the original one. So like I said, this is a pretty common thing when it comes to a lot of these failed systems and failed games. Um, now, don't worry. The Engage did survive a little bit longer after that. They did discontinue the Engage, the phone line, uh, but then they came back with the Engage and it was more of like a, it was included in their phones as like a gaming center. Right. Like huh. it was a weird little like add on that they had, uh, but they still kept the name Engage attached to it, which to me is like, why, why would you do that? Like <laughs> people are yeah. so burned and they hate this thing. Like and ultimately it just didn't do well. And you're still trying to keep that name alive. Just let the thing die. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, so they, they tried that out. It ultimately did fail and they. They sold the Engage like name and the gaming center to Windows eventually. So I guess you could say mm. they did kind of come up a little bit. I don't know what Windows did with this. I didn't look into that too far, but it, it did kind of live on for a little bit, but it just doesn't. It, it dies. Yeah. So the, the, system, the system got discontinued and then the whole online service or the game center service, which is strange to think about, ended up. Um, going out as well. I found it interesting because I was looking at the the titles released on it, and I mean, one there's it's uh, it's called Xanadu Next. It's mm -hmm. from uh, the Dragon Slayer series, which is a big, like, long, overarching franchise in Japan mm -hmm. from Falcom. And I'm like, why was that released on a, a thing that is not in Japan? That's just weird to me. Yeah. But something even weirder is there's an Elder Scrolls game. Oh, wow. That only released on the N-Gage. Uh, Elder Scrolls Travel Shadow Key. Hmm. And it looks like a dungeon crawler from what I'm looking at. And I'm like, how? Like, like apparently nowadays when people buy the N-Gage, that's the game they're looking for from what I'm finding out. But... I'm like, how did they get Elder Scrolls on the end games? Like, that's just bonkers. Yeah, like Nokia obviously had a lot of pull, but they just didn't use it properly. So it, it's crazy to think about. And 
like I said, like both these systems have such interesting, innovative ideas and they were pushing the market forward in the right direction and in a direction that we definitely see today when we look at mobile gaming as well as handheld gaming. They they really did kind of set some groundwork as to what people wanted or how, what direction it should be going in. They just did not do it properly and it just ultimately leads to poor marketing um you know a lot of just not living up to the expectations over promising overreaching just all that fun stuff so it, it, it's sad to see but you know what are you gonna do so it's kind of tough kind of tough to think about yeah but yeah all right so that's going to do it for us this week. I hope you guys enjoy this next installment into the dark ages of gaming, the failed consoles, the failed games uh, throughout the ages. Uh, it's It's been interesting. And I, like I mentioned in the last episode, I really enjoy researching these things because it's fun to see what is a quote-unquote failure and see what interesting ideas they actually try to come out with. Because they do have a lot of really interesting things. And both these systems were very powerful for their time. They made a lot of sense. And now, like, a lot of people are saying that either the critics were too hard on those systems, which they weren't. Those systems weren't great. <laughs> or that they were just before their time, which could be, right? They just didn't. They they were trying to accomplish too much with the resources that they currently had. But the ideas were there. And I do have to commend them for just trying it out because, like I mentioned, it definitely has paved the way for us today. Um, and it's a part of gaming history. So it's something that we all should know and appreciate. And especially if you're a game designer out there, if you're trying to design games or consoles or whatever it may be, uh, you definitely need to look into these and find out how these things failed and what you can do to try and, you know, avoid some of their pitfalls. So, yeah, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode and uh, join us again next week for another interesting conversation. So that's going to do it for us. Thank you and bye. Bye.